Hello everyone, my name is Jonathan and I am an alcoholic and today I will be reading chapter 1 on Bill's story. War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew. Young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war. Moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in New England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. It reads, Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his death drinking cold small beer. A gold soldier, a good soldier, is ne'er forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. Omnivious warning, which I failed to heed. 22 and a veteran of foreign wars, I went home at last. I fancied myself a leader had not the man of my battery given me a special token of appreciation. My talent for leadership, I imaged, would place me at the head of vast enterprises, which I would manage with the utmost assurance. I took a night law course and obtained employment as investor for a surety company. The drive for success was on. I'd proved to the world I was important. My work took me about Wall Street, and little by little, I became interested in the market. Many people lost money, but some became very rich. Why not I? I studied economics and business as well as law. Potential alcoholic that I was, I nearly failed my law course. At one of the finals, I was too drunk to think or write. Though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. We had long talks when I would steal, steal her four bodies by telling her that men of genius conceived their best projects when drunk. That the most majestic constructions of philosophic thought were derived. By the time I had completed the course, I knew the law was not for me. The inviting maelstrom of Wall Street had me in its grip. Business and financial leaders were my heroes. Out of this alloy of drink and speculation, I commenced to forge the weapon that one day would turn in its flight like a boomerang and all but cut me to ribbons. Living modestly, my wife and I saved a thousand dollars. It went into certain securities, then cheap and rather unpopular. I rightly imagined that they would someday have a great rise. I failed to persuade my broker friends to send me out looking over factories and managements, but my wife and I decided to go away. I had developed the theory that most people lost money in stocks through ignorance of markets. I discovered many more reasons later on. We gave up our positions and off we roared on a motorcycle, the sidecar stuffed with tent, blankets, and a change of clothes, and three huge volumes of financial reference service. Our friends thought a Luency commission should be appointed. Perhaps they were right. I had had 
some success, some success at speculation. So we had a little money, but we once worked on a farm for a month to avoid drawing on our small capital. That was the last honest manual labor on my part for many a day. We covered the whole eastern United States in the year. At the end of it, my reports to Wall Street procured me a position there and the use of a large expense account. The exercise of an option brought in more money, leaving us with a profit of several thousand dollars for that year. For the, for the next few years, fortune threw money and applause my way. I had arrived. My judgment and ideas were followed by many to the tune of paper millions. The great boom of the late 20s was setting and swelling. Drink was taking an important and exhilarating part in my life. There was loud talk in the jazz places upon, uptown. Everyone spent in thousands and shattered in millions. Scuffers could scuff and be damned. I made a host of fair weather friends. My drinking assumed more serious proportions, continuing all day and almost every night. The, re the remonstrances of my friends terminated in a row and I became a lone wolf. There were many unhappy scenes in our subsumptuous apartment. There had been no real infidelity for loyalty to my wife, helped at times by extreme drunkenness, kept me out of those scrapes. In 1929, I contracted gold fever. We went at once to the, count, to the country. My wife to applaud while I started out to overtake Walter Hagen. Liquor caught up with me much faster than I came up behind Walter. I began to be jittery in the morning. Golf, golf permitted drinking every day and every night. It was fun to carry him around the exclusive course which had inspired such awe in me as a lad. I acquired the impeccable cough of tan once seized upon the well-to-do. The local banker watched me whirl, fat checks and out, and his tail with amused skepticism. Abruptly in October 1921, hell broke loose on the New York Stock Exchange. After one of those days of inferno, I wobbled from a hotel ball bar to a brokerage office i was it was eight o'clock five hours after the market closed the ticker still clattered i was staring at an inch of the tape which bore the inscription xyz 32 it had been 52 that morning i was finished and so were many friends the papers reported men jumping to death from the towers of high finance that disgusted me. I will not jump. I went back to the bar. My friends had dropped several millions since 10 o'clock. So what? Tomorrow was another day. As I drank, the old fear's determination to win came back. Next morning, I telephoned a friend in Montreal. He had plenty of money left and thought I had better to go. I had better go to Canada. By the following spring, we were living in our Accustomed style. I felt like Napoleon returning from El Elba. No, St. Helena for me. But drinking caught up with me again. And my generous friend had to let me go. This time we stayed broke. 
We went to live with my friends, with my wife's parents. I found a job, then lost it as a result of a brawl with the taxi driver. Mercifully, no one could guess that I was to have no real employment for five years or hardly draw a sober breath. My wife began to work in a department store, coming home exhausted to find me drunk. I became an unwelcome hanger-on at brokerage places. Liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Bat bathtub gin. Two bottles a day and often three got to be routine. Sometimes a small deal would net a few hundred dollars and I would pay my bills at the bars and delicate delicatenesses. This went on endlessly and I began to awaken very early in the morning, shaking violently. A tumbler full of gin followed by a half a dozen bottles of beer would be required if I were to eat any breakfast. Ne nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation, and there were periods of sobriety which renewed my wife's hope. Gradually, things got worse. The house was taken over by the mortgage holder. My mother-in-law died. My wife and father-in-law became ill. Then I got a promising business opportunity. Stocks were at the low point of 1932, and I had somehow formed a group to buy. I was to share generously in the profits. Then I went on a prodigious bender, and that chance vanished. I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drunk. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. Shortly afterward, I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. It hadn't even come to mind. Somehow, had pushed the drink my way. Someone had pushed the drink my way, and I had taken it. Was I crazy? I began to wonder, for such an appalling lack of perspective seemed near being just that. Renewing my resolve, I tried again, sometime. Sometime passed and confidence began to be replaced by cocksurance. I could laugh at the gin mills, now I had what it takes. One day I walked into a cafe to telephone. In no time I was beating on the bar asking myself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to my head, I told myself I would manage better next time, but I might as well get good and drunk then. And I did. The remorse, he, her, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared cross the street lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplied me with a dozen glasses of ale. My ready nerves were stilled at last. A morning paper told me the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Jen would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. 
The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms for mine endure this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from my wife's slender purse when the morning terror and madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window. Or the medicine cabinet where there was poison cursing myself for a weakling. There were flights from city to country and back as my wife and I saw escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor. At least I suddenly leaped. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day found me drinking both gin and sedative. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in the naturally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind doctor who explained that though certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill, bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. Through It often remains strong in other respects. My incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not. For the frightful day came when I drank one once more. The curve of my declining more and bodily health fell off like a sky jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish. Certain it seemed to me, my worry and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium tremens, or I would develop a wet brain perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give over to the undertaker of or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew, and they almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I who had thought so well of myself and my abilities of my capacity to surmount obstacles was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge in the dark, joining the endless procession, procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought, of a, I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched across me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stemmed from the hospital. A broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink in an arm is day, 1934. I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. How dark it is before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulated 
into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Near the end of the bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through the night and the next day. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. I, w I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. I wondered how he had escaped. Of course, he would have dinner and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought only of recapturing the spirit of other days. There was that time we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in their dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened and he stood there, fresh skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed the drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious, I wondered what had got into that fellow. He wasn't himself. Come, what's all this about? I queried. He looked straight at me. Simply but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. I was at guest. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had that starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire all right. But bless his heart. Let him rant. Besides, my gen would last longer than his preaching. But he did not... He did no ranting. In a matter of fact, way he told how two men had appeared in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told of a simple religious idea and a practical program of action. That was two months ago and the result was self-evident. It worked. He had come to pass his experience along to me. If I cared to have it, I was shocked. But interested? Certainly, I was interested. It had to be. For I was hopeless. He talked for hours. Childhood memories rode before me. I could almost hear the sound of preacher's voice as I sat on still Sundays way over there on the hillside. There was the proffered temperance pledge I never signed. My grandfather's good-natured contempt of some church folk and their doings. His insistence that the spears really had their music. But his denial of the preacher's right to tell him how he must listen. His fearlessness as he spoke of day of these things just before he died. These recollections wound up from the past. They made me swallow hard. That wartime day in old Wetchester Cathedral came back again. I had always believed in a power greater than myself. I had often pondered these things. I was not an atheist. Few people really are, for that means, blind faith in the strange proposition that this universe originated in the cipher and aimlessly rushes nowhere. My intellectual heroes, the chemists, astronomers, even the evolutionists, suggested vast laws and forces at work. Despite contrary 
indications that had little doubt that a mighty purpose and rhythm underlay all. How could there be so much of, pre of precise and immutable law and no intelligence? I simply had to be in the spirit of the universe who knew neither time nor limitation, but that was as far as I had gone. With ministers in the world's religions, I parted right there when they talked of a God personal to me who was love, superman strength, and direction, I became irritated and my mind snapped shut against such theory. To Christ, I conceded the certainty of a great man not too closely followed by those who claimed him, his moral teaching more ex most excellent. For, him, for myself, I had adopted those parts which seemed convenient and not too difficult. The rest I disregarded. The wars which had been fought, the burnings and the burnings and chickenery that religious dispute had facilitated made me sick. I honestly doubted whether on balance the religions of mankind had done any good. Judging from what I had seen in Europe and since, the power of God in human affairs was negligible. The brotherhood of man, grim jest. If there was a devil, he seemed to the boss universe universal and he certainly had me but my friend sat before me and he made the point blank declaration that god had done for him what he could not do for himself his human will had failed doctors had pronounced him incurable society about to lock him up like myself he had admitted complete defeat then he had in effect been raised from the dead suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that minute. And this was none at all. That floored me. It began to look as through as though religious people were right after all. Here was something at work in the human heart which had done the impossible. My ideas about miracles were drastically revised right then. Never mind the musty past. Here sat a miracle directly across the kitchen table. He shouted great, great tittings. I saw that my friend was much more than inwardly reorganized. He was on a different footing. His roots grasped a new soil. Despite the living example of my friend, there remained in me the vestiges of my old prejudice. The word God still rose a certain and anti-pity when the thought was expressed that there might be a god personal to me this feeling was intensified i didn't like the idea i could go for such conceptions as creative intelligence universal mind of spirit of nature but i resisted the thought of a star of the heavens however loving his sway might be i have since talked with scores of men who felt the same way my friend suggested what then seemed a noble idea. He said, why don't you choose your own conception of God? That statement hit me hard. It melted the icy intellectual mountain in whose shadow I had lived and shivered many years. I stood in the sunlight at last. It was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. I saw that growth could start from that point upon a foundation of complete willingness i might build what i saw in my friend would i have it would i have it of course i would 
Thus, I was convinced that God is concerned with us humans when we want Him enough. At long last, I saw, I felt, I believed. Scales of pride and prejudice fell from my eyes. A new world came into view. The real significance of my experience in cathedral burst upon me. For a brief moment, I had needed it and wanted God. There had been humble willingness to have Him with me, and He came. But soon the sense of His presence had been blot blotted out by worldly clamors, mostly those within myself. And so it had been ever since how blind I had been. At the hospital, I separated from alcohol for the last time. Treatment seemed wise, for I showed signs of delirium tremens. There I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood Him. To do with, him, to do with me as He would, I placed myself un, unreservably under His care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without Him I was lost. I rootlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a dream since. The schoolmate visited me and I fully acqu acquainted him with my problems and deficiencies. We made a list of people I had hurt or toward whom I felt resentment. I, I expressed my entire willingness to approach these individuals, admitting my wrong. Never was I to be critical of them. I was to write all such matters to the utmost of my ability. I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Common sense, what does become uncommon sense? I was to sit quietly when in doubt, seeing only for direction and strength to meet my problems as he would have done. Never was I to pray for myself, except as my request bore on my usefulness to others. Then only might I accept, expect to receive what that would be in great measure. My friend promised when these things were done, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator that i would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems belief in the power of god plus enough willingness honesty and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements Simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. These were revolutionary and drastic proposals, but the moment I fully accepted them, the effect was electric. There was a sense of victory, followed by such a peace and serenity as I had never known. There was utter confidence. I felt lifted up as though the great clean wind of a mountain top blew through and through god comes to most men gradually but his impact on me was suddenly and profound for a moment i was alarmed and called my friend the doctor to ask if i were still sane he listed in wonder as i talked finally he shook his head saying something has happened to you i don't understand but you had better hang on to it. Anything is better than the way you were. The good doctor now sees many men who have such experiences. He knows that they are real. While I lay in the hospital, the thought came that there were thousands of hopeless alcoholics who might be glad to have what, I, what had been so freely given me, given to me. Perhaps I could help some of them. They in turn might work with others. My friend had 
emphasize the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appall how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. If he did not work, he would surely drink again, and if he drank, he would surely die. Then faith would be dead indeed. With us, it is just like that. My wife and I abandoned ourselves with enthusiasm to the idea of helping other alcoholics to a solution of their problems. It was fortunate, for my old business associates remained skeptical for a year and a half, during which I found little work. I was not too well at the time and was plagued by waves of self-pity and resentment. This sometimes nearly drove me back to drink, but I soon found that when all other measures failed, work with another alcoholic would save the day. Many times I have gone to my old hospital in despair. On talking to a man there, I would be amazingly lifted and set on my feet. It is a design for living that works right, that works in rough going. We commenced to make many fast friends, and the fellowship has grown up among us, of which it is wonderful. Of which it is a wonderful thing to feel a part. The joy of living we really have, even under pressure and difficulty. I have seen hundreds of families set their feet in the path that really goes somewhere. Have seen the most impossible domestic situations righted, feuds and bitterness of all sorts whipped out. I have seen men come out of asylums and resume a vital place in the lives of their families and communities. Business and professional men have regained their standing. There is scarcely any form of trouble, misery which has not been overcome among us. In one western city and its environs, there are one thousand of us in our families. We meet frequently so that newcomers may find the fellowship they seek, and these informed gatherings one may often see from fifty to two hundred persons. We are growing in numbers and power. An alcoholic in his cups is an unlovely creature. Our struggles with them are variously strenuous, comic, and tragic. One poor chap committed suicide in my home. He could not or would not see our way of life. There is, however, a vast amount of fun about it all. I suppose some would be shocked at our seeming, at our seeming worldliness and levity, and levity. But just underneath there is deadly earnestness. Faith has to work twenty-four hours a day and through us, or we perish. Most of us feel we need look no further. For utopia, we have it with us right here and now. Each day, my friend's simple talk in our kitchen multiplies itself in a widening circle of peace on earth and goodwill to man. Okay, well, that is all of chapter one on Bill's story. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. My name is Jonathan. And I will be reading the doctor's opinion. We 
We of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. Convincing testimony must surely come from a medical men who have had experience with the suffering of our members and have witnessed our return to health. A well-known doctor, chief physician at a nationally prominent hospital specializing in alcoholic and drug addiction, gave Alcoholics Anonymous this letter. To whom it may concern, I have specialized in the treatment of alcoholism for many years. In late 1934, I attended a patient who, though he had been a competent businessman of good earning capacity, was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. In the course of his third treatment, he acquired certain ideas concerning the possible means of recovery. As part of his rehabilitation, he commenced to present, to present his conceptions to other alcoholics, impressing upon them that they must do likewise with still others. This has become the basis of a rapid fellowship of these men and their families. This man and over 100 other appears, appear to have recovered. I personally know scores of cases who were of the type with whom other methods had failed completely. These facts appear to be of extreme medical importance because of the extraordinary possibilities of rapid growth inherent in this group they may mark a new epoch in annals of alcoholism. These men may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. You may rely absolutely on anything they say about themselves. Very truly yours, William D. Silkworth. The physician who, at our request, gave us this letter, has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms what we have suffered. Alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal of his, as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality, or were outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact to a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. And I believe any picture of the alcoholic which leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. The doctor theory that we have an allergy to alcohol interests us. As laymen, our opinion as to its soundness may, of course, mean little. But as ex as but. As ex-problem drinkers, we can say that his explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. Though we work out our solution on the spiritual as well as the altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached, as he has then a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. The doctor writings read, The subject presented in this book seems to be, to me to be of par paramount importance to those affiliated 
afflicted with alcohol addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was therefore a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in such mastery detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Many years ago, of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital, and while here he acquired some ideas which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients. Here, and with some misgiving, we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The the unselfishness of these men, as we have come to know, as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and worldly in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. We believe, and so suggested a few years ago, that the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allegory, that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperature drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and once having formed the habit and found they cannot break it. Once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problem pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. Fraudy emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. If any feel that a psychiatrist directing the hospital for alcoholics we appear somehow, I mean somewhat, sentimental, let them stand with us a while on the firing lane, see the tragedies, the despairing wives, the little children, let the solving of these problems become a part of their daily work, and even of their sleeping moments and the most cynical will not wonder that we have accepted and encouraged this movement. We felt after many years of experience that we have found nothing which has contributed more to the rehabilitation of these men than the altruistic movement now growing up among them. 
Men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, this alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at the once by taking a few drinks drinks which they see others taking with impunity after they have succumbed to the desire again as so many do and the phenomenon of craving develops they pass through the well-known stages of spree emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over unless this person can experience an entire psychic change. There is very little hope of his recovery. On the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once a psychic change has occurred, the very same person will seem doomed who had so many problems had despaired of every solving them who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol the only effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules men have cried out to me in sincere and despairing appeal doctor I cannot go on like this. I have everything to live for. I must stop, but I cannot. You must help me. Faced with this problem, if a doctor is honest with himself, he must sometimes feel his own inadequacy. Although he gives all that is in him, it often is not enough. One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change, though the aggregate of of recoveries resulting from psychiatric effort is considerable. We physicians must admit we have made little impression upon the problem as a whole. Many types do not respond to the ordinary psychological approach. I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem or business deal which was to be settled on a certain date favorably to them. They took a drink a day or so prior to the date and then the phenomena of craving at once became paramount to all other interests so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. There are many situations which out of a phenomenon of craving which cause men to make the supreme sacrifice rather than continue to fight. The classification of alcoholic seems more most difficult and in much detail is outside the scope of this book. There are of course the psychopaths who are emotionally unstable. We are all familiar with this type. They are always going on the wagon for keeps. They are over-remorseful and make make many resolutions, but never a decision. There is the type of a man who is unwilling to admit he cannot take a drink. He plans various ways of drinking. 
He changes his brand or his environment. There is a type who always believes that after being entirely free from alcohol for a period of time, he can take a drink without danger. There is a manic depressive type who is perhaps the least understood by his friends and about whom a whole chapter could be written. Then there are the, there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allegory which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. I has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated the only belief we have to suggest is entire abstinence this immediately precipitates us into shattering caldrum of debate much has been written pro and con but among physicians the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed what is the solution perhaps i can best answer this by relating one of the one of my experiences about one year prior to Dick's experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living one might say to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no perm permanent brain injury he escaped the plan outlined in this book one year later he called to see me and i explained the very and i explained the very strange sensation i knew the man by name and partly recognized his features but there all resemblance ended from a trembling despairing nervous wreck had emerged a man brimmering over with self-reliance and contentment I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. When I need a medical uplift, I, of I often think of another case brought in, my in by a physician prominent in New York. The patient had made his own diagnosis and deciding his situation hopeless had given have hidden had hidden in a deserted barn determined to die he was rescued by a searching party and in desperate condition brought to me following his physical rehabilitation he had a talk with me in which he frankly stated he thought the treatment was a waste of effort unless i could assure him which no one ever had that in the future he would have the willpower to resist the impulse to drink his alcoholic problems were so complex and his depression so great that we felt his own hope would be through what he, what we then called moral psychology, and we doubted if we even, and we doubted if we even, if even that would have any effect. However, he did become sold on the ideas contained in this book. He has not had a drink for a great many years. I see him now and then, and he is as fine a specimen of manhood as one could wish to be. 
I earnestly advise every alcoholic to read this book through and though perhaps he came to scuff, he may remain to pray. And that is all of the reading for the doctor's opinion. Thank you.